welcome back to Friars on the Farm podcast. My name is Donovan Jones. I am your host. I am joined via Skype with uh, with Roy Thomas and my co-host. I'm driving this bus today. I'm yeah, uh, bus I'm, driver. I'm at the I'm at the boards, and Donovan's across the country. So we're making I this work in, with Skype. I am in the southern tier of New York, which is about an hour outside of Rochester, uh, New York. Um, visiting in-laws a few days before we go to uh, Cooperstown on Sunday to watch Trevor Hoffman get inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. That sounds like a little bit of a brag there. I'm, I'm kind of jealous of you. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm bragging because I tell you, I, I, for a quick moment, my life wasn't going to be like this. Um, I stopped drinking about 16 years ago, and uh, ever since then, um, my life has just been an amazingly extraordinarily ordinary life, but um, extraordinary because this wasn't the plan. And uh, now I'm three days away from uh, going to watch, uh, you know, one of the players I've watched my whole life turn into a, a Hall of Famer. And uh, with a with a great cl- a class of people also, Jim Tomey, uh, Vladimir Guerrero, Chipper Jones. Um, Jack Morris. I loved watching. Um, but let's get into it. Let's get to, uh, you know, Fernando Tatis posted a picture of himself on Instagram from the hospital bed. Uh, on Tuesday, and it, it, he had surgery to reattach the ligament to his thumb. By all indications, it was successful, and the Padres have said that they expect Tatis to fully recover and play winter ball, then compete for a starting job uh, in spring training. Yeah, so it was an avulsion fracture. So it, it it's technically a fracture, but what happened was the ligament actually ripped the, the bone away from itself. So they had to reattach the bone. There was an interesting article on uh, the Athletic with Dennis Dennis Lynn. He was interviewing um, one of the one of the orthopedic surgeons, talking about the procedure, uh, talking about Mike Trout as an example. Um, yeah, they, I'm not sure. There, apparently, there are a couple of methods they can go about that might accelerate the recovery uh, time. Uh, but regardless, it's a relatively quick recovery. As we saw, Mike Trout came out that same came back that same season. So yeah. he should be healthy in time for winter ball and certainly in time for spring training to at, up at full strength. You know, and I was thinking about it. It's like he, you know, he was already tearing up the double A. There wasn't nothing really much else to prove um, in double A this year. So with him starting, you know, having a long season last year, playing into winter ball, um, really get what, maybe a month and a half off before spring training kind of started. Uh, so to give him this two months off before you know winter ball starts, I think is a nice little break for him. Um, get a, you know not only is he going to heal from and recover from the injury, but you know, kind of recharges batteries and um, certainly give all of Padres Twitter and Padre uh, fandom a freak out. Oh my <laughs> God, people were posting, were posting these sad videos um, that, that kept faith. Dallas, both Dallas and Nick posted these videos where it's like overly dramatic, but I, I really felt like that was very appropriate um, because like I said, you know, the episode before we, we can't have nice things. And literally like that next week, you know, Tatis, you know, enters his hand, which I was watching that game when it happened. And real quick, when he came off the field, it, you know, he was there on the bench. There were no trainers around him. You know, he was just kind of fidgeting with his thumb. You know, it didn't look to be serious enough where they took him off the field, took him out of the dugout and into the clubhouse, and you but know, all of a sudden, all the belt. He stayed Go in on. the game. He stayed in the game and played on defense. Yeah, it wasn't until his next time to come up at bat. Maybe it was gripping the gripping and swinging the bat when he was really feeling the the pain. Yeah, and that's and that's his top hand because it's his non throwing hand. It's his glove hand. 
which is your t- uh, I'm sorry, which is your uh, batting, your pulling hand when you hit. So it's uh, definitely you know that left hand, you know the left hand is definitely a hand you need. Um, so he's gonna be fine, and we're gonna move on. Um, batting leadoff, the Padres traded left-handed pitcher Brad Hand and sidearm throwing right-handed reliever Adam Simber, everyone knows, to the Cleveland Indians for their top twenty uh, to their top prospect. 24-year-old Francisco Mejia. Mejia, switch-hitting bat-first catcher, is MLB Pipeline's number 15 prospect. He's their number one prospect, yeah? Yeah, yeah, he was Cleveland's number one prospect before the trade. Hey, did you uh, did you catch my clever headline that I posted on, uh, that I tweeted out? <laughs> because, of the, no. because of the timing of everything, I said, Padres lose hand and thumb in unrelated incidents. I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> See, and I'm not that sharp. I wouldn't have picked that up. I would have went, huh? <laughs> I would, I'm very literal when it comes to when it comes to tweet, when it comes to tweets. But we've um, got an exciting young catcher that's that's come into the system now. So uh, go uh, ahead, tell uh, us about what he has done in the past. Well, that gives first of all, it gives you know gives Padres ten players in the MLB pipeline's top 100. That's ridiculous. Mejia in 2016 had an incredible 15-game hitting streak. Wait, the longest hitting 50, streak. That's five-zero for uh, if it's not coming through clear. 50-game hitting like streak. Fifty cent, fifty-five-zero. Uh, that's the longest hitting streak in 62 years. So that's incredible. He he had split time in low uh, low A Lake Country and high A Lynchburg. He finished 2016 with a 342, 382, and 514 slash line between the two stops. After a solid uh, solid campaign last season in Double A, the backstop advanced to a Triple A and got off to a slow start. Uh, however, since May first, Mejia's 318, 369, and 486 with just a 15% strikeout rate, which is huge. So the thing with him, you notice that the on base isn't that much higher than his batting average. He doesn't strike out a ton. He also doesn't draw a ton of walks. So one of the things that they want to work on with him is his pitch selection. That he can put the bat on the ball anywhere. It's part of the theory is that he's not getting to his game power because he's just swinging it at junk because he knows he can hit it. It's kind of where right. Josh Naylor was about a year ago. That he can make contact anywhere in the zone. It's you need to learn to be more selective and get a pitch to hit. Don't don't just swing at whatever's available. Right. Um. Exa- exactly. And so that's going to be a development of him with. With the defense, and to be honest, I'm okay with having a little less defense for more pop in the bat. Definitely well, for me. Well, that plays well if you've got Austin Hedges, and you can kind of yin-yang the two pit, the two catchers and maybe find a position elsewhere to get Mejia some at-bats when Hedges is behind the plate. Well, from all indications, he wants to be a catcher. But this is uh, this is A.J. Preller on Mejia. We really like the bat and the potential that we see behind the plate. He can also play third in some outfield. Our pro scouts, led by Pete DeYoung, have seen him a lot in the past few years, and for right now, the focus will be on catching. Mejia's receiving skills are said to be a work in progress, but the MLB pipeline placed a 70 grade on his arm. Cannon! Um, but give him a 45 on defense, which is slightly below average, but you know that's something he can work on in AAA. Yes. Yeah, the, the Padres seem to think that Catching defense is something that can be taught, that can be learned, as long as you've got the right underlying skills. Yeah, absolutely, and that's and and it can be. It's not like bat speed. It's you know you have to develop and learn that kind of stuff. Anyways, for now he's he's ready to. He's our number three prospect. God, who did he kick? I think he kicked down Udius one. Or? Yeah, how crazy is that? That you can pick up somebody who's number fifteen overall in the league, and he slots in as our number three prospect behind Gore and Tatis. So Preller on uh, Preller on Hedgy, uh, we think a ton of Hedgy, and in the past few weeks we have seen flashes of all that ability that he has potentially that he potentially has. 
Uh, in this day and age, I don't think you're going to have many guys catching 130 to 140 games. So you need to have more than just one guy. Currently, the Friars have. Well, here's the thing about this: is currently the Friars have four or five catchers on the 40-man roster. Mejia, Hedges, Ellis, plus Luis Torrens. Uh, we have Austin Allen down at Double A, and he's eligible for the Rule Five Draft in the winter. So Allen's had a monster year for San Antonio and would likely be a top 10 prospect in many other organizations. Ellis is eligible. Ellis will be gone. He's eligible for free agency. Um, you know, so it's going to be difficult for us to carry five guys on the 40-man roster. So I think at the end of the year, a lot of those guys will disappear. You know, we, we can drop Luis Torrens. Uh, I'm sure Ellis will go on to uh, for another contract. Uh, somewhere else, so we can put them on it. But we are we're stacked with catchers. Well, five guys on the forty man. I think they need to do something before the end of the season. Um, you you can't. It, it really clogs up the roster when you've got that many catchers. So I could see them finding a trade partner for Ellis. I could see them maybe designating Rafi Lopez for assignment and hoping that they can kick him down to Triple A. Uh, Torrens, they're keeping him because he's. You know they've kept him as a project this whole time, but one of those two guys yeah. I think has got to go off the roster one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And then you go down, you go down the farm, and you got Luis Camposano and Blake Hunt and Fort Wayne and Tri Cities respectively. And we're just, you know, for how long did we not have a catcher in the system that was worth a damn? Well, and on top of that, in in tri- in AAA, you've got AJ Kennedy and Stephen McGee and uh, Brett Nicholas. Uh, you've got uh, Kyle Overstreet that has been bouncing around the the infield, but he's a catcher. I mean, there's there's a ton of depth at a premium position. So coming back to the trade topic, that does make for we have a position of depth. There is an option, an opportunity to possibly make a trade here. Right, put it so a package together. Anyways, looking ahead, the Padres will have Mejia exclusively catch over the next few weeks with a possible promotion in September. After a couple of weeks, the team has discussed moving him around to different positions to get his bat and perhaps Hedges' glove in the lineup on a consistent basis. That will be interesting to see in September. It will be. Uh, It's going to be an interesting September. There are a lot of of guys that need to come up and get a little bit of playing time. Um, We've been talking about Brett Kennedy and uh, Trey Winginter, um, some pitchers that are are fighting for 40-man roster spots. I, I'm waiting for the shooters to drop. Maybe they're waiting for the, the trade deadline before they start messing around with bringing guys up and, and giving people auditions. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there are definitely you some know, moves to be made between now and uh, the end of September. You know, and, and, and talking about that, what I failed to mention is we'll be having Kevin Charity from Mad Friars on later on, um, and we'll definitely have some questions about that and, and what he sees coming up, what we are going to do with, uh, with all this catching depth and, you know, he'll have some of those, hopefully he'll give us some answers or give us a little clarity and some ideas on what the Padres expect. Well, now would probably be a good time to break to that, right? Don't you think? All right. We'll be right back with Kevin Charity from Mad Friars. Hey, welcome back. And we're privileged to be joined by Kevin Charity from Mad Friars right now. Kevin, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. God, the, the wonders of technology. We have finally got Kevin on here. We've been trying to get you on for quite a while now. It just uh, It's just technology eludes us and eludes uh, me in particular. But hallelujah, we have seen the light. Yes. It, it eludes me too if it makes you, if it's any constellation. <laughs> or any constellation, I should say, not constellation. You're not a star. Uh, so, hey, Michelle Bias hasn't shown the velocity or dominance of Lake Elsinore uh, that he showed in Fort Wayne last year. Uh, can you tell us what's going on there? Um, 
you know, there was he was held back a little bit at the beginning of the uh, of the season with with kind of like a like a lower back injury, from my understanding. So, I'm not sure if that's you know affecting his velocity. Um, when I saw him at the the futures game last year, or the on deck game, whatever they call that thing that they played last year, um, you know, he, his velocity the first inning was 97, and it, it dropped down to 94. Um, I don't know if you know. I haven't heard anything personally if there's like a different approach about the way he attacks hitters, but obviously, I, I, they don't seem to be too concerned about it. his numbers. While they haven't been as dominant, you know, as they were last year, um, they're still pretty solid for the Cal League, but. I, if I had to put anything on it, I think there's some lingering minor things on there that, that are probably affecting his ability to, you know, to really ramp it up. Okay. Um, uh, could we see Terso Nellis and Lake Elsinore this year? Uh, I doubt it. He just went on the DL with kind of a, a hand wrist issue. Um, I haven't really seen any update on the severity of it, but I think given that he's 18 um, and given the fact that he hasn't, you know, he, he's looked good. Um, and he's put up decent numbers. He hasn't really lit the world on fire in the Midwest League. You know, he's been he's been solid. He's shown some power. He's a legitimate, you know, uh, right, top fielder. fifteen to twenty Ooh. prospect in that system. So, I don't think that I would be very surprised if he if he's moved out of Fort Wayne this year. You know, that that's a good point that he's only eighteen. Uh, you know, we've seen Buddy Reed pushed aggressively, but he was drafted out of college. Um, and it's really you got to be a super stud to get pushed aggressively like Tatis has been. Right, exactly. And I think with him, there's no there's no hurry right now. I think they have guys in Elsinore um, to fill those spots. I mean, you know, Jorge Onya has been playing every day. You know, they have Oliveris. Um, they've kind of rotated in kind of more organizational type guys like Boykin and uh, 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 Nate Easley. But yeah, I, I don't think even if he were even if he were healthy, I think. There's no stretch in that, but I mean the the Fort Wayne outfield. I mean, the, excuse me, the the Lake Elsinore outfield next year should be really good. With uh, you know him and Rosario should be there. I would think. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing Rosario. He's so much fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, speaking of Jorge Onya, he hasn't been displaying the power that we've hoped to get, and he's hitting just 240. Uh, is the organization concerned, or what do you think about that? I haven't heard any anything specific in terms of, you know, concerning the organization. Um, the my first impressions when I've seen him play is that you know the bat to me doesn't look very fast. I think he looks a little stiff in his swing. Um, he runs a lot better than I thought he would. Like just kind of looking at him, my, my when I, I interviewed him at the Padres Futures game at the end of what was that in 2016. And he's not like a super big dude in terms of height, but he just looks like he, he looks like a linebacker. Um, so yeah. you look at this guy, and you're thinking, man, this guy definitely you can see where the interest is in him and why they spent the money they spent on him because he definitely looks like he's got powerful a powerful bat. Um, you know, looking looking at him up close, I mean, looking at him, you know, from elsewhere this year, I just personally, I think it's I personally think it's a bat speed issue. Like I just don't think he's getting through the zone fast enough, and I I think he's just not generating the power that you know some of the other guys that have been up there have that's that's my takeaway i'm no scout but yeah i mean that's i think the the biggest reason i think he's just there's not a lot of bat speed there okay well at the beginning of the year he posted a video of him and himself in the cages and the kids just i mean he's ripped he is just chiseled so i'm wondering if that you know if the muscle the muscle's there but you know the the flex strength and the uh maybe that's kind of slowing him down a little better maybe he doesn't have it you know bat speed isn't Something you can really 
I mean, you can work a little bit on it, but it's something you're either born with or born without. Yeah, and, and that and that it's something that I'm you know I'm speculating. It, it's from my own takeaway is that like I, I that's what I've seen. Um, I, I don't I think a lot of it is just you know he's had some freak injuries this year too. He had a a, a home run that was hit off the foul pole that bounced into his face. Um, yeah, at that, at that's an one game. That's one of the craziest um, baseball injuries I've heard. Yeah, I mean it's it was it's bizarre. Um, I don't I don't know how I don't think that I don't think that's an excuse. Um, but I think, you know, he started to come on as of late and he's hitting a little bit better, but, um, you know, even in Fort Wayne last year and, you know, you can kind of excuse the, um, you know, the, the Midwest league is it's not a real, a real great hitters league, but he didn't really go out there and, and show a ton of power. I think he's got a decent approach at the plate and I think he knows what he's doing up there. I just, he just has not been able to generate, in my opinion, the bat speed to, to, to hit for more power. I've, I've pulled up some numbers here on fan graphs. And I see that both this year and last year, he's put the ball on the ground about half the time. And he's also pulled the ball about half the time. So that's, that's not necessarily a good profile for somebody who's supposed to be like a line drive fly ball hitter. Uh, I don't know if there's got, an adjustment to be made. Paid, so why not? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of, you know, not speaking of which, but um, Kevin, why is Hudson Pot still in Lake Elsinore? Um. I think that's kind of the same answer for Arnalis is, is age. I think he's still, he doesn't turn 20 until I think September or October. Um, I, you know, I've heard some things about, you know, there's still some, some big holes in a swing. Um, he's still striking out quite a bit. And I think they probably just don't want, cause I, I personally, like when I look at the guys in the system, I think the biggest separators in my opinion, are when you go from like short season rookie ball to like low A, And then when you go from, you know, high A to double A. And I think putting him there at 19 um, may not be what they feel is, is the best thing for his development because he's still got stuff he can work on. But I think for him, I mean, he's a on, you know, he's a, a freaking extra base machine. I think he's on, on pace for, you know, he could easily hit 60 extra bases this year. Um, yeah, he's yeah. close to 20 home runs, got a ton of doubles. Yeah. Um, also, you got Ty France there in Double A, and that's it's a little off script here. But you know, what do you think about Ty France? I'm a big Ty France fan, and really kind of was hoping to see him in the next year or two to at least get a cup of coffee to see what we got. What do you think about Ty France? This is um, just because Donovan really likes watching guys get hit by pitches. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people are kind of pulling from him just because you know, for two things. One, he's a 34th round draft pick, and I think it's our natural inclination to, to root for the underdog. But the second part of it is obviously he played for state and played for Tony Gwynn specifically, um, which kind of makes him a, a guy to watch. But I, I think with him is, you know, he's a stocky dude. You know, when you look at the body, he doesn't have a great, you know, the quote unquote great body. Um, but all the guy's done is since he's been in the system is get on base and hit. Um, you know, he's had some bad luck with Babip at least early in the season. I think it's, it may have stabilized and normalized a little bit over the last couple of months. But, um, you know, I think the, the fact is, you know, he's a first baseman, third baseman that doesn't have a ton of power. Um, you know, I speculated and was kind of curious if they had ever tried him or wanted to try him like kind of in the corner outfields and kind of make him like a, you know, and this is kind of a, I wouldn't say a player comparison, but more of like a body type and versatility, like a Ty Wigington who, uh, you know, played in the big leagues for a long time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, another San Diego boy, too. Another San Diego guy, exactly. And a guy that kind of bounced around. I, I think if, if France gets to the big leagues, which, you know, I, he's not a guy personally that I would protect on, on the on the 40-man this winter because he's eligible. But, 
you know, if, if Anita Rose, you know, I, I would be okay with him, you know, getting coming up and maybe being a, I, I think his ultimate role, if he makes it, makes a big league team is going to be kind of a, a bench bat. And, you know, maybe that opportunity presents itself, but I think right now with the way the, the 40 man, the roster is stacked, I don't, I don't think that's going to be a possibility, but I wouldn't rule it out. Mm. All right. So Cal Quintrell's struggled with consistency this season. Uh, what's going on with Cal? Um, you know, the, there's a lot of speculation on that too. And I think some of the things I've talked, you know, talked to is, um, you know, is, is that his fastball command has just not been there. Um, he's got his stuff is still fine. The velocity is still good, but I think at least what I've seen his last couple of starts, just watching the, you know, little, little chunks of them, um, his, his fastball is just getting left out of the plate and he's getting hammered. Um, you know, his, his off speed stuff still looks good. Um, but the command of the fastball has just been inconsistent. If you can't command a fastball, you know, you're going to get hit. Yeah. Um, part of the other part of it is I, I think there has to be some type of mental um, issue. And what I mean by that is just think of it just as a human being, you know, you were the, the guy that was the number one pick in 2016. And I just wonder if, you know, the struggles and kind of maybe comparing himself to other guys in the system have got opportunities it's kind of weighed on him a little bit. You know, it's not something that I've, you know, that he's come out and said directly, but I think just looking at it from a human perspective, I think if yeah. I were in that same situation, I feel I'd feel that way. And so I'm not to use that as an excuse for him, but I think that does definitely has to kind of weigh on him a little bit. I just, maybe he's putting too much pressure on himself personally. Yeah. You know, and if uh, at the end of the day, everyone does, it doesn't matter where you're drafted at the end of the day, everyone develops at their own pace. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not too concerned. I mean, it's concerning, but it's not too concerned um, to let him, he'll figure it out. And if he doesn't figure it out, you know, I'm sure it'll be a great bullpen piece. Um, well, that's one nice so, thing about all the depth that the Padres have right now is that you can give somebody a little bit of extra room, a little extra time to develop, at least until the Rule 5 considerations start to show up. Right. And I think with him, and that's kind of the philosophy that I have, at least, you know, like, not that I'm a an expert on player development, but the whole point of, you know, having a deep system is that, you know, you can look at the Padres top 10 pitching prospects, you know, put them whatever order you want. Knicks, you know, Patino, Gore, Quantrill, whomever, three, four, five of those guys are going to flame out or they're not going to reach their ceiling. It's yeah. going to happen. So I think, you know, if you look at like that, that rotation in double A right now, they have Paddock, they have Knicks, they have Logan Allen, they have Quantrill. Um, you know, he's right now Quantrill's the has had the worst year. Um, does that mean that he's going to be, you know, the one that's not going to have a long big league career? We don't know yet. So I think that's the whole point of those. Why you have this depth is that you know you're you're not banking on Anderson Espinosa being a superstar. You know, you have other people in their system that you know if somebody right fails, then you're going to have the next one up. Speaking of which, let's talk to let's talk about his other two teammates in the rotation: there, Logan Allen and Jacob Nix. You know, I heard before from uh, you know, reading on Mad Friars about uh, Coach Wellman. They're talking about Jacob Nix being ready right now for the major leagues. Do we have a timeline or an idea when maybe uh, Allen or Nix will uh, get a cup of coffee? Um, well, with Nix, I think the exact quote that uh, he said to John Conniff was, um, "If he had to pick somebody from their roster to do a spot start now, Nix would be the guy." Um, you know, Nix is the last couple of years has dealt with like kind of a groin injury. Um, that's kind of prevented him from getting out of the gate. Um, he's come out this year and he's been, he's been tremendous. I mean, he's the guy that I think to me profiles like a mid rotation guy. doesn't have a ton of strikeouts. 
Um, but he's got a great curveball and a great fastball. Um, Logan Allen is just, again, he's a lot like Lucchese, but with, with more velo. And I think when you looked at prospect lists coming into this year, you know, when Lucchese had eligibility, most of the national guys were putting Allen ahead of Lucchese because of the added fastball. They profile very similar, you know, they're very similar profiles. Um, you know, again, looking at you, I think everything in promotion wise happens in relation to the 40 men roster. Um, you know, the Padres right now, I believe have an open spot on there with the, with the recent trade. Um, you know, I think, and this is my, you know, kind of assumption is that Brett Kennedy may be the next one to get an opportunity, but you know, Nick's another guy I believe has to be added to the 40 man roster after this year. Logan Allen does not. So I think that's kind of where you're going to see some consideration, but Logan Allen is definitely, I think pitch his way into an opportunity. I think he's, you know, I don't do like mid season, you know, updates or, you know, Matt Fryers right. do mid season updates in our prospect list just because we don't really see the value of it. But, you know, if I did do one right now, I mean, I think I'd call Quantrill three or four. I'm, I'm putting Logan Allen ahead of him um, yeah. just based upon the stuff he has. But Logan Allen, I, if I had, if you, if you, you know, asked me what would happen, I think, I don't think either one of them is going to debut in 2017 or 2018, excuse me. Um, I can see both of them being in the mix for jobs in 2019. I think what you'll see is I can see Nick's being a guy that gets sent to the Arizona Fall League to build up some innings um, just because he missed basically the first two months of this year. Um, Nick's would be the more likely of the two, just because again his proximity of having to be added to the forty man, right? And Logan Allen, God, Logan Allen's still only twenty one, and he's he's pitching like a seasoned veteran down there in Double A at twenty one. Uh, yeah, Kennedy. I mean, yeah, he's a legit guy. I mean, the thing that you know everybody raves about him is you know he's a really intelligent guy, and you know from my I haven't actually formally interviewed him, but um you know I've I've had interactions with him and. You know, from all accounts, he seems like he's a good dude. He's got a good head on the shoulders, come, you know. So I think he's a guy that when he gets an opportunity, I think he'll be prepared for it. Um, and yeah, he's yeah, definitely yeah. a guy that's risen on my list of, like, favorite prospects for sure. Absolutely. you got to be rooting for him with that beard. I mean, the beard is just – that's an epic beard he has. <laughs> well, and you got, have you guys seen lately um, his mom's been tweeting things out about his brother. He has an older brother that uh, has muscular dystrophy or MS or one of those afflictions. Terrible where, palsy. Is yeah. that it? Okay. And so, and I don't know, that just says something to me, the, the way that he pulls his brother in, that he's got that kind of stuff rooting for him. It makes me want to pull for the guy even more. Yeah, I, I know, you know, he's talked about in other interviews about, you know, how much his brother means to him. And I think, you know, when you have a guy that comes from that background, I mean, and the fact that he's just, you know, considers his brother his hero for, you know, all the stuff he has to deal with, I think. Everybody, you know, puts baseball players on a pedestal and thinks yeah. about the things they endure. And, you know, his brothers had to endure a lot worse things than, you know, giving up seven runs in, a, in an outing or something. So I think it, for him, the thing that, I, that, you know, how I kind of it relates to, like, development, I think Logan has his head on straight and, you know, has perspective in life that, you know, at 21 years, years of age that I don't know if a lot of other 21-year-olds would have kind of his outlook. And I think that's one of the things when you talk about makeup, you know, Logan Allen rates really high for, for makeup just, you know, from some of those things that you that you see. There, there's a lot of humility there that that kind of thing teaches absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, can we see Luis Udias in September? Yeah, I, I, I personally think at some point he's got he's got to get at it. I think, you know, with the thing that kind of is driving me crazy right now is that, you know, you see these Padres trade rumors that are not to get off topic, but 
you know, you see these Padres trade rumors that are coming out, and they're talking about adding pitchers. And you know, that one of the names that's dangled out there is, you know, I've seen the report where they don't want to include Gore or Tatis at all, which you know is understandable. But they'd be willing to kind of look at guys in the, in the next tier, that next three or four which obviously includes Luis Urias. And the reason I wouldn't trade him is because I think he's going to be the big league second baseman next year. Um, yeah. You know, and I think you look at what the, what teams do when they're in contention, you know, you don't see the Indians or the Yankees or, you know, these teams trade off their, you know, players off their big league roster. They're, they're not going to do it. You're not going to, you know, fill, you know, fill one hole and cause another hole. So for right. me, the way I, my perspective on it is Luis Urias is, is your second baseman next year. I don't need to see a Swahe. I don't need to see Spangenberg. Now, if there's a situation where they slid him over to shortstop, maybe that's, you know, where I, I, I would be. The only reason I would not say he's a second baseman next year, but I, I would bring him up in September to let him get some at-bats, let him get that experience in kind right. of a no-pressure situation so that way when he comes in the next year, he has no, you know knows what to expect. Again, another guy you got to protect in the, on the, in the Rule 5 draft, so it's they have an open spot right now. It makes all the sense in the world to me to go ahead and get him added. Um, well, see, and I, I was saying, I'm, I was I'm saying, guessing September. Yeah, see, and I was saying this last uh, last episode that he could fill in for shortstop for a half a year next year. Like we could be our shortstop while we deal with whatever we're going to do with uh, Swahe and just the God Spangenberg and Perella and those guys. He could play shortstop for a, for a, for a pinch till Tatis is ready. You know, a month in, two months in. And then screwed him over to second base, and then there we go. There's our middle. Of, there's the middle of the, uh, you know, the diamond right there. Right, and that's kind of what I speculated on Twitter a few days ago. Um, you know, he's a guy that I I think is probably close to being big league ready. I think he still is having some issues with strikeouts, which for him, you know, yeah. for, for an average guy, it's not a big deal. But for him, part of what his value is is the bat to ball skills, um, because I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that's going to hit more than ten or twelve home runs. I think. The comp that I've seen on him that I agree with and I like a lot is Palacio is Palacio Polanco, who yeah. you know never hit for power, but the dude hit 300 every year with a decent on base percentage and had a really long and good career. I, I think for a guy like that, to me, um, he's untouchable and he's a guy that I want to. I if it were if I were general manager, I'd bring him up now um, yeah. because there's there's no point. We're already past the super two cutoff. There's really no point for him to, to get in AAA. The only reason he's there i think is because they want to get us a they want to get another look at us why but b i think they want to see him have like more of a breakout stretch before they they promote him absolutely hey who's um you know here for the farm we cover the minor leagues and we have a lot of guys on our list every week uh but who is the next prospect that we should really be on our radar that uh maybe our listeners like to hear about well if you go check out i mean uh, i don't i don't have a top 100 list or anything like that so um, I don't know how far deep you want to go into it. The thing, <laughs> the thing that's crazy is that um, with the internet and with Twitter and with, you know, I, I like to think we have a small part in that in Mad Friars that there's not really unknown guys in the system. I right. think if anybody's doing anything, you know about it. Like, I would have said, if you would have asked me this question in like April, I would have said Luis Patino based on what he did in the AZL last year. <laughs> Obviously, he's probably a top 10 to 15 prospect in the system right now. Um, but there are a couple of names that are kind of in that lower level. Um, I would say there's four or five guys that have caught my eye that were probably nowhere near my top 30, but have really caught my eye this year. Um, if you go start in the Arizona League, a couple of, you know, a pitcher, Joey Cantillo, 
who was a over slot. They signed him. I want to see he was an 18th round pick somewhere. He was, he's a middle round pick. They gave him more money to, to get away from his, his college commitment. Yeah. And a left-hander, you know, the low 90s doesn't have the blow-you-away type of stuff, but is a guy that is, you know, I think he's allowed one and run in 21 innings this year with a bunch of strikeouts. Um, so he's shown that he's got the ability to miss bats. Again, you know, the, the stats in the Arizona League should be treated with a grain of salt to a point, um, but the fact that he's gone out there, it's a second stint out there. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think could move up to maybe Tri-City before the year's over. Um, I think Assuming they do another prospect showcase here, um, like they did the last couple of years, he'd be a guy that would that would be in on that. Um, another name in, in the Arizona League is a guy they signed in the international class in 2016, and that's a uh, I I've only seen his name written, so I'm gonna I don't know if it's pronounced. Good question. Tucapita or the Tucapita? It's yeah. See, I, I it sounds like to me it's like it's Tucapita, and I like I knew you you knew where I was going with that. The Tucapita or Mercano, um, he's a he's a left-handed hitter, but if you kind of look at the size and kind of the the bat-to-ball skills, he reminds me a lot of Luis Urias. Um, last year in the D- Dominican League, he only hit like 208, but again, um, the Dominican Summer League quality of baseball is akin to you know Grossmont League high school baseball it's not much above that to be honest it's really it's it's really i mean i i just looking at stats they're weird there's a lot of walks pitchers don't have control it's a lot of these guys foreign guys first experience of playing organized baseball um so the 209 average looked really bad but if you looked at the beyond that he had a really good on base percentage and walked more than he struck out flip side you, you come into this year i think he has last time i checked twice as many walks as strikeouts it's in 385. Um, not a lot of power. He's a smaller guy. I want to say he's listed at 5'9", 170, something like that. Um, has good speed, so I mean he can steal base. Um, to me, profiles is the guy that's the top of you know top of the orator. Um, another guy that I'd really like to get a look at live. You know, hopefully can do that at some point. Um, from there, you know, you know, in, in Tri City, Olivier Basabe. Um, has had a really good year, um, hitting like 320 with some pop. Um, Pasco or Giza Stadium in Pasco is probably the worst park, one of the worst parks in the minor leagues to hit in. It's just a giant park, and you know, talking to their play-by-play guy, Chris King, you you have to like murder a ball to get it out of there. Yeah, um, well, a couple and of it years would just ago, go to the best field, right? Best field, yeah. but as a minor league experience, but not necessarily hitter's paradise. Exactly. And so the fact that he's been able to do that, he's gone through a pretty good hot streak. Um, he's playing all over the dirt. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I think, you know, probably not a top 30 guy yet, but again, a guy that they got in the seventh or eighth round last year under slot. Um, another guy out of, uh, he went to Faulkner university, uh, which is, you know, they got a guy from, uh, Thomas Dormini, who was in the organization up until last year went there as well. So, um, those are three guys off the top of my head. Dylan Coleman, fourth-round pick, a guy that probably people know about, but he's pitched really well out of the Fort Wayne bullpen. I would make an assumption that he's starting somewhere next year. I think mm. they're just pitching now the bullpen because he threw over 100 innings in college. But um, those are kind of guys that are not – you don't see those guys mentioned as top 30-type players, but those are guys I've seen um, that have been really good You know. In the last couple of months, for sure. Dylan Coleman's, not, Dylan Coleman's profile kind of sounds a lot like Lucchese. You, yeah, it, same it, same college, same scout. Yeah, 
Yeah, but the ad- advanced college pitcher coming out as a senior um, pitched a lot of innings, so now they're kind of limiting him this year, and then next year he might be a fast riser. Yeah, I mean, he could be a guy that conceivably could be in the Lake Elsinore rotation. Um, you know, with you know that that rotation next year again could be stacked when you figure you know Anderson Espinosa maybe in it. You know, Patino will probably be in it. You have Dylan Coleman in the mix, so um, there's a lot a lot of guys that are that are coming up that are it's exciting it's exciting to watch and the depth of the system is just 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 incredible fantastic hey well kevin uh is there anything you're working on right now is there anything coming out from mad fryers that uh you want to let our listeners know about um no not really i mean i i haven't had a chance my you know i don't i don't really travel like um you know john uh and david have kind of done most of the, the heavy lifting on that um my goal is to get up to elsinore here in the next week or so and and, and do some things there um, there's still some players that are that are there that I think I want to get a couple looks at. I think the issue I've had is, you know, I, I want to see, you know, the the big time pitchers. And, you know, when I've been able to go, it's like I don't really need to see, you know, Emmanuel Ramirez throw again. And I've seen him a couple of times. So, um, you know, the goal is to hopefully get up there a couple more times and then kind of start getting into the offseason work when we start making up our prospect list and go from there. I know that um Coming up on our site, uh, Ben Davey is going to be in El Paso, I think, the third week of August. Um, so, you know, he could get a look at Francisco Mejia. And I believe that uh, John is also um, going to be in Elsinore in a couple weeks and then in Tri-City as well. So um, we should have some more on-site coverage coming up very quickly. And then Travis Barnett, who's been in Fort Wayne, lives, lives in that area. Um, it's really been killing it all year with, with tin caps coverage. And then, yeah. Um, so we, we've got more coming for sure. Excellent. Well, I, we really appreciate you taking the time out and talking to us here at Friars on the Farm. Um, that's it, buddy. I really appreciate it. See, we treated you a lot nicer than those guys over at 5.5. I yeah, think the they're fruit, a little rough on you. The fruit basket was a nice was a nice gesture. No, I but, um, really appreciate it. Does that go with the keto? That goes with the keto, right? Exi- oh, fruit. You can't really have fruit unless it's like strawberries, but, you know. <laughs> it's working though I'm, I'm losing weight so that's all that matters so hopefully uh you know the goal is to get under 200 and yeah we're getting there so no more right. no more kfc buffets for you huh <laughs> no um that was that was one of those things where it's that's like a wear in rome type of thing um i only had like two pieces of chicken because i wasn't like super hungry but uh if you ever go up to a storm game, it's right there. It's it's a very bizarre thing because they have, um, like, in the bar they had like stuff to make your own tacos. They had chicken en- or cheese enchiladas, but they didn't have like macaroni and cheese. Like they had fettuccine alfredo. So it's very bizarre. But if you're looking for uh, a cheap, you know, gluttony in, in Lake Elsinore before you go to a game, you can hit up the uh, the buffet. If you tell them that I sent you, you get 20% off. <laughs> no, not really, Do we get 20% off? <laughs> They'll probably charge us double. They'll charge oh, you yes. double and your cholesterol, cholesterol will go through the roof. But, you know, if you're going up to Elsinore, that's one of those quick eat, eat options. You got that or you got a, there's a taco shop and an In-N-Out. And that's yeah. all I know about Lake Elsinore because I'm not going farther into that city than I have to. Right. We save our money for the funnel cake. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, Kevin. Have a good night, man. Take care. You too. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that was Kevin Charity, man. It's a really good interview. That was really good. Yeah. Kevin gave us some good information, some good insight. Um, We really appreciate him coming on and uh, joining us today. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Overlord, for letting us have Kevin for a few minutes. 
Uh, let's get into the affiliates here in El Paso. Uh, last Monday, Jerry Kiel sent a season high in strikeouts with 10 Ks on a night when an elevation where the wind was blowing out. Um, they were in Albuquerque. Uh, it was a second quality start out there uh, out of three since joining El Paso up from double A. Um, this last Saturday, Brett Kennedy Nosh, and who's pitching tonight, Nosh's ninth win of the season, scattering four hits in seven innings, allowing one run unearned, two walks, and 3K. Kennedy lowered his ERA to 2.53 in 78 and the third innings. In 10 of his 14 starts, he's given up one earn or less. Guy's just, he's just knocking on the door. And I would knock on the table right now, but I don't want to make any more noise than I already do. <laughs> well, and Jerry Keel's making a bit of an argument now late in the season. He was a midseason promotion to Lake Elsinore, or to um, El Paso. But uh, now he's trying to make an argument for a call-up. You know, and it's good. You know, two guys that aren't, like we, we talked about last episode, not Harold, you know, not a top prospect, but guys that are producing when they're asked, you know, when, in every level that they are, that they're at. Uh, Luis Urias reached base three more times this last Sunday to push the slash line to, for the month at 315, 448, and 481 uh, with 13 walks against 14 strikeouts in 14 games. That's the Urias we low and love. Yeah, it seems like he's starting to cut down on the strikeouts. So maybe uh, in these in-season adjustments, maybe he's learning to be a little bit more um, selective at the plate. Absolutely. So let's move on to the missions. Uh, we'll go to the top three here, starting with uh, last Monday, Jacob Nix was sharp in seven innings starting uh, – uh, excuse me. Jacob Nix was sharp in the seventh start of the season, allowing one run on five hits, walking two and punching out five over six innings. Uh, Nix finished the evening retiring 11 of the last 12 batters. One better single, but was thrown out by Gettys uh, from the outfield, which is sweet. Oh, love the cannon! You know, we talked uh, we talked about Jacob Nix uh, with Kevin Charity there earlier before, and uh, we're going to uh, last Wednesday. Uh, the first time in his career, Logan Allen pitched into the eighth inning. Uh, he was taken out of the game at exactly 100 pitches, which is huge. 100 pitches is huge. Uh, he had retired 20 of the previous 22 before that hit. He also earned the league and system leading 10th win of the season. Allen now has many as many wins as he did in his first three years in the minors. He gave up four hits, two of them solo home runs. Final line uh, last Wednesday, seven innings and uh, seven or two-thirds, four hits, two earned runs, and 7K. I was looking at the league leaders the other day, and when I looked, he was leading the league in just about every counting statistic, strikeouts, ERA, whip, and he's just dominating that league at age 21. Very impressive. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, then we'll start with our next most impressive guy in AA, who I think is just taking the world by storm, other than Luis Patino, Patino uh, Chris Paddock last Thursday, had another strong start, five pitching five scoreless innings while striking out three. He's lowered his ERA to 1.59 and three starts in 17 innings. Uh, that's last Thursday. We'll get to the last night here in a minute. But also, Fernando Tatis Jr. smacked his 16th home run of the season before he tore his ligaments in his thumb on his head first slide into second. So that's going back to the injury that we talked about in the beginning of the uh, of the, of the episode. Now, what you were saying about Chris Paddock, guys aren't supposed to do this, are they? No. No, <laughs> I, they're not. You don't move up a level and then just keep on cruising. If, if nothing else, put up even better numbers. It's amazing. So going into last night's start... You know, over the so they've been playing the Corpus Christi Hooks, which is the uh, Houston Astros Double A team. 
They are leading the league in all offensive categories. They're an absolute they, juggernaut. Juggernaut. With their pitching as well. But over the last three games, the mission starters, who were ranked 9, 12, and 15 among the top Padres prospects coming into the season, tossed a combined eight and two-thirds innings, allowing just 11 hits and two runs while posting a, a stellar 21-2 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Again, against the best hitting team in the league, and Chris Paddock pitched last night and outshined them all. Cold as he ice. Just, he is he is foreigner, cold as ice all the way. Hey, older reference, probably lost on some younger listeners. Uh, he faced just two batters over the minimum as he tossed 85 pitches through five and two-thirds innings. It was his first double-A start without walking a batter. He hasn't issued more than one walk in 32 of 34 career games. He does not give it away. Since being promoted from double-A, Paddock is holding hitters to a .096 average with left-handers managing just two hits in 33 plate appearances. Same-side same hitters aren't much better with five hits in 45 plate appearances. Just just totally dominating. Are you there, Roy? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. You're on a roll. Are you just in, are you just in <laughs> awe of Chris Paddock's Paddockness? I'm, you know, I'm holding my breath. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, especially after Tatis, it's, we have good things and we want these good things to stay good and healthy and keep producing. I just want him to keep rolling, don't walk anybody, and just stay healthy. I, I love it. And more than anything, really develop that third pitch. Because, um, sure, in the major leagues, you can get by with two pitches for, for a little bit, but after a while, and we saw a little bit of this with, um, with Dinosaur Lamette, that, you know, they, he wouldn't be as consistent with just the two pitch mix. Even though Lament was throwing 98 with a really good slider. I read that in Paddock's start, he only threw a couple of curveballs early in the in the game. So maybe he's trying to hold on to that for the second or third time through the uh, through the lineup. Absolutely. And if you've got 15 mile separation from your fastball to your changeup, you're just gonna be a you're just gonna be a lawnmower in short grass, just killing it. Love it. Um but that's double A. Uh, moving on to the storm. This last Wednesday, Reggie Lawson his best start of the month and pitched seven innings for the first time since May 14th outing. The 20-year-old threw 103 pitches, only six more than he had in any of his three previous starts when he didn't make it past the fifth. Now, here's the deal with, with Reggie. He's well beyond uh, the innings pitch that he pitched last year. So he's getting into that uncharted territory. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, if you see him pitch four innings, and they piggyback, or or less than that over the next uh, the rest of the season. I'm kind of surprised they weren't doing more of that early in the year with him. But you know what? If that's what they're trying to do, is stretch him out, teach him how to work deep into a game, then maybe you shorten this season and let him rack up the innings that way. Absolutely, get uh, you know third time through the through the lineup, and they've been doing a lot of piggybacking in in Fort Wayne. They just there's just so much pitching available. Well, and there's so much young pitching. You don't put Mackenzie Gore out there and run him up to 150 innings pitched. So guys like yeah. that, they're they're doing yeah. a lot of that down there for that reason. So uh, this last Thursday, on our last episode, Nick Markovich just got baptism by fire, or baptism by Lancaster. Uh, he bounced back from that baptism of fire in Lancaster with six innings and one run ball. He had seven strikeouts, no walks, scattering six hits to bring his ERA, and three starts to 3.71. Um, that's fantastic. I think he pitched last night and he gave a, a couple runs, but you know it's good to see him bounce back from a tough outing. 
particularly in uh, you know a, a tough. You know, here's ballpark in Lancaster. Yeah, that's a launching pad. Yeah, huge, and we got more of that uh, down here. Um, probably see it for next uh, next episode. But Luis Torrens is hitting 280, but has 53 Ks and to 17 walks. While Hudson Potts is still striking out more than he is walking, he has been on quite a tear this month of July, posting a 354, 400, and 585 slash line. And we talked a little bit about Brad. Um, I'm looking at Brad Zunica now. Uh, Hudson Potts with Kevin. So he has to cut down those strikeouts, and we'll see how that goes. Anyways, moving on to uh, Friday, Emmanuel Ramirez had his longest outing of the year. Just the pitching is just, you know, I'm, I'm picking, I'm cherry picking all this, but you know, a lot of the pitching they're just doing really well. So Emmanuel Ramirez had his longest outing of the year, trolling seven strong innings, giving up two earned runs on seven hits, one walk, and four punchouts, lowering his ERA. Uh, to 4.81. Yeah, I've heard you say that phrase quite a few times today where somebody's having their longest outing of the year. That's a good sign that these guys are stretching out. They're getting comfortable. They're they're advancing and learning how to be efficient to pitch into the 6th, 7th, 8th innings. Yeah, and he was in the bullpen for a while. Uh, you know, he was a starter, but then when Chris Paddock came up, uh, you know, they threw him in the bullpen. I think he got roughed up a little bit. That's kind of bloated his ERA. Um. But he's back up in the, you know, since Paddock's been promoted, he's been in the rotation. Also in that game Friday, Hudson Potts hit his 32nd double, which we talked about with with Kevin Charity. He's he's just tearing it up, you know. He's on pace to make those 60, I think the Cal League is 61 or 60 extra base hits. What, the the record? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's tracking. So several, you know, just to kind of cut things short here, Several other players had solid weeks. Michelle Baez had uh, pitched really well. Ronald Bolanos, who we haven't heard much of lately, has had a good outing. Um, but that wraps up the storm. Moving on to Fort Wayne, uh, this came from Dylan Sin. Luis Patino, the precocious righty, has struck out more than 10 hitters per nine innings in 10 starts. While posting a stellar 2.28 ERA, his last two starts have been two of his best as he's tossed 11 or two-third innings without giving up an earned run. While surrendering just... Three hits total. On July 12th, Fangraphs prospect expert Eric Longenhagen fielded a question about Patino in his chat with readers. Here's what Longenhagen wrote. Patino's crazy, is a crazy athlete, 18 and pitching well in low A, 94 to 97 miles per hour, chance for plus breaking ball, everything else projects because of his athleticism. He's a lot of fun and quite good. Out of nowhere, too. Yeah, and we signed him. We signed him for under just, I think, for less than three hundred thousand. I think was it the three hundred thousand last year that we signed him with? Oh, I don't have that in front of me right now. But uh, yeah. he's he wasn't one of these big dollar signings. No, so it's uh, you know it's not always the high dollar guys that uh, that do well. You know, it's just you you draft the athlete, you draft what you can project. He was signed um, for one hundred and twenty thousand. Yeah, God, that's God. That in, in in the baseball world, ladies and gentlemen, that is not a lot of money. But from uh, you know Patino, who I think is from Venezuela, uh, you know that's a hell of a lot of money for a kid that's uh, you know coming from Venezuela. Anyways, moving on to Tri Cities. Um, this last Wednesday, Cole Bellinger worked six innings deep enough to earn a quality start. 
Uh, he needed only 72 pitches, 47 of them for strikes to get through his night. He finished the start retiring eight of the final nine batters he's faced. Shortstop Owen Miller, who tripled, has been one of the biggest highlights for the Dust Devils this season. The third-round pick is hitting 323, 367, and 441, and leading in the club in most offensive categories. We talk about him a lot. Yes. Well, he's, he keeps hitting. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So let's quickly let's move up to Friday. And Omar Cruz came up from the Arizona Folly to make his Tri-City Dust Devils um, debut. And what better way to make your affiliate debut than facing a team that's hitting 217? And that's just what the 19-year-old Omar Cruz did. And he put up five goose eggs with three hits and six strikeout game. Uh, six strikeouts in the game. Cruz, a lefty from Sonora, Mexico, posted a 30-6 to K to base on ball ratio in 20 innings in the AZL Padres before his promotion. I caution the Northwest League runners to not run on Blake Hunt. He's got a 30% throwout rate. Guy's just mowing him down. He's a big guy. I didn't realize that he's well over six feet. And so he might be another Austin Allen kind of guy in a little bit. Apparently he moves well behind the plate. But uh, you guys with that kind of a big frame, there's always a question of, are they going to be able to stay behind the plate? Absolutely. And maybe we'll have to put him out in, you know, athletic. If he, could he do an outfield? Could we put him at first base? Um, on that Friday, Owen Miller didn't get a hit. I repeat, Owen Miller didn't get a hit. Um, it's, you know, so that I just I put that in there just because he's been getting a hit almost every game. Um, the the eighth-round pick out of Faulkner University, Alabama, Olivier Bazabe, he is the easiestly, he's easily the hottest hitter in Tri-Cities right now. After posting a 6.52 OPS in eight June games, he has a stellar 3.75, 4.53, and 6.07 slash line in July. 62 plate appearances in 16 games. Um, I think Olivier got promoted up to uh, Fort Wayne. Did he? I'm pretty sure he did. And I failed to mention that during the interview with uh, Kevin Charity, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't in the lineup tonight, but I, I thought I read somewhere on Twitter today that he was uh, he is uh, that he got promoted. So we'll see him up there. Good for moving him. Moving on to the A's. Yeah, exactly. You know, another guy that's moving up pretty quick, and he's he was drafted last year. So to have him come back in the in the Tri Cities and move forward, uh, kind of a little quickly, that's that's real nice to see. Um, so Friday. We've got another great baseball name in the system, folks. Blinger Perez. And Blinger Perez went two for four with an HR, three runs, and a base on, base on balls. What was Raising that name again? Blinger Perez. Blinger. <laughs> Blinger. I, I don't know what that is in Latin, but uh, Blinger Perez, that's, God, that's straight out of the movies. Sounds like cash money to me. <laughs> and is that, that's, is that a rapper? Who, what, who is isn't that a guy? Isn't that a thing? I, I don't know. I think I, there was a kid in the Little League World Series with that name or something like that. A couple, I don't remember. <laughs> it also reminds me of Cash Medi, right? That's what we call uh, Craig Medi. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. No. So he's a first baseman, a catcher, and a left fielder. I'm not sure what that even yeah. means. I, it's well, like every day they just kind of – he's got a whole sack full of gloves and whatever you want to grab. Looks like he's well, been know, playing outfield exclusively this year, but last year he played first, second, third, catcher, and both corner outfield positions. Well, you know, and that's what they do. That's what Preller does. He he drafts the athlete, not the position. 
Um, so you'll see guys like that. It's funny, and I meant to I meant to mention this with Kevin was uh, if you look up baseball reference uh, for Ty France, uh, he's a first baseman, third baseman, and relief pitcher. Oh, how about that? It's on his baseball reference profile. Well, this seems to be the year of the position player pitcher, so maybe there's an added utility for that. Yeah, that way you can say, hey, hey, hey you know, when he makes it the majors, or when he makes it the majors, and it's a blowout, you know, and you can have him pitch because it's in his repertoire. Yeah. Uh, most uh, so back to back to the AZL uh, for Friday's game. Most notable was the return of shortstop Xavier Edwards. The 38th overall pick from the June draft, who hadn't played since June 26th, he had been dealing with a wrist issue, uh, started at DH. He singled the lead off the game and stole second and came around to score. He had an RBI ground out in the second inning. The 18-year-old has a 429, 514, and 429 slash lane. That's 12 for 28 with six walks and four strikeouts through eight rookie league games. Oh, there's, there's no power, though. You know, it's in com- he's in the complex. That's just fine. It will come. Yeah, that's interesting. Speaking of, the, speaking of the complex, speaking of the power, this last Wednesday, uh, 2018, uh, number seven overall draft pick, Brian Weathers, Padres' number one draft pick, made his long-awaited debut. And it, it didn't go well, but that's okay. After, after a leadoff walk, he gave up a homer and a double before walking two. He did strike out the last battery face before giving way. Um, a second error after he left play, uh, played in two more runs and what will go down as a forgettable start for the talented 18-year-old. Uh, but, yeah, at least he knocked the dust off. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, and his journey begins. Yes. And it begins here as the last thing on the episode number nine of Friars on the Farm. Whew, uh, it's been a bit of a marathon. It has been, you know, it, it, we're going to tie all this together with, uh, with the technology that we know, but, you know, we recorded a little bit at the beginning, had the interview with Kevin, and they came back and recorded the end of this, uh, at the end of this episode, and I really got to thank my partner, Roy. Just, Roy, you have the patience of Job not only dealing with me, but dealing with the technology side of all this, uh, because as a chef, I can only make food and talk a lot. Well, let's just hope that the uh, that the sauce came out right. That after I hit stop, everything is saved properly and everything sounds good. And then, uh, then, then we can we can raise a glass and celebrate. You are the chef of you are the chef of our technology of, of the podcast. I uh, I'm barely a fry cook. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing great here, and I want to thank uh, our guest Kevin Charity from Mad Fryers who came on and gave some really cool insight. I want to thank Roy for putting up with me, for uh, just putting up with me. I'm here in, uh, in North Hornell, New York, who, uh, by the way, just this is a little side note. Uh, there's a summer league here, and the team is called the Hornell Dodgers. Um, I guess back in the 40s, uh, back when Jackie when Brooklyn were the Brooklyn Dodgers, their minor league team used to play here. And uh, after they moved on, they still kept the summer league team here, and now they call them the, Bro- uh, you know, the Hornell Dodgers. So that's a little uh, local history for um, Hornell. And you can reach me at Major League Lava at SD Donovan on Twitter. And I am, uh, I'm not sure what my name is right now, miserable something <laughs> or other. Uh, but I'm Zippy <laughs> underscore TMS, and I'm also writing on Gaslamp Ball. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us here on Friars on the Farm. Mm-hmm.